back from the Thanksgiving holiday and ready to roll. This is episode number 36 of the Shutdown Inning Podcast. I am Steven Risotto, along with, uh, as always, is my co-host Tyler Hall. Tyler, what's going on? Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, hey, everybody. Yeah, happy, uh, happy holidays, everybody. We're a few days past Thanksgiving now. Hope everyone enjoyed and is out of the food coma now. Yes. Did you have like, like, do you usually have a lot of food at, at your Thanksgiving holiday or is it kind of like it, one of everything? Is there a lot of one thing, a lot of turkey? Because I know we usually have a lot of turkey. That's kind of what I dig into. Sometimes it's dry, sometimes it's not. But what's like the hall Thanksgiving looking like? I mean, a little bit of everything for sure. I'm a big mashed potatoes guy, so I usually load up a little mashed potato heavy, but I'll get a little bit of everything in there. I'll uh, I'll platoon my dish if I need to. And then, uh, you know, I used to eat quite a bit when I was either, you know, single or just in a relationship. And now that I'm chasing a, a three-year-old around, I kind of just scarf down what I can while while uh, we're kind of taking turns chasing the little guy around. So I actually had a, I had a, a good size meal, but I wasn't completely stuffed. So I'll, I'll take that as a win. How about you? Did That's you go, Did you just go, go wild on there on that plate, man? I went wild on that plate, went wild on the turkey and basically it, it was very dry, but one thing about my household is that I have in my refrigerator, I have all this, like all these ranch packets that I've accumulated from like different, like fast food restaurants and restaurants. So I just started dipping in ranch and that was how I got by. And everybody at the table looked at me strange. You're the only one with the ranch packets, but we did our thing. And uh, there, there was no gravy for the turkey. No, it was ranch. It was ranch from like Burger King that I mixed in. So wow. I don't have any regrets. I mean, it's once a year. They're not going to see those people again. No, I'm just <laughs> literally just my immediate family this year. But uh, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was a good holiday. And uh, I'm thankful for this podcast, Tyler. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we kind of cut off the thankfulness at the end. But I am too, man. Thankful for all the listeners. And and we're starting to see some action around Major League Baseball slowly but surely. We're kind of in that lull before the winter meetings, but yeah, we've ha had a little bit of action to to look at. Kind of, I feel like there's been a little more activity before the winter meetings compared to some years past. Yeah, I think I saw a note the other day where it said like, you know, it was still slow this time last year, but it feels like it should be a little faster. I mean, I think you know the the week that we're kind of coming up is usually when all the activity begins. Um, and yeah, we did want to recap a few things that went down, um, starting with the non-tender stuff. I know that was a little bit ago, but Brandon Woodruff was non-tendered by the Brewers. Um, he's a free agent. Uh, there's a few other people that were non-tendered that are interesting. I know the Reds non-tendered Nick Senzel. Um, a few other players got non-tendered, but Brandon Woodruff was kind of the one that I looked at, and um, and, and I know you looked at too, and it wasn't too long ago. He was a top end guy for the Brewers uh, atop the rotation with Corbin Burns. And now he's a free agent and he's undergoing surgery and he's likely going to sit out another year. But I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, I was kind of surprised usually in a, in a situation where a guy's entering the last year of his deal and he can be kind of a front end starter or a, or a decent bat in your lineup. Teams will kind of look at it the other way and extend him a little bit. So that, you know, we'll, we'll stick with you through this year of, of inactivity. We already have you under contract and then we'll have you for a couple of years after. I think that's what probably what kind of deal I, I don't think Brandon Woodruff's going to go unsigned. I think some team's going to give him a, a two or three year deal and know that that first year is going to be pretty much a sunk cost. But uh, 
Yeah, he's been there for so long. And I guess the Brewers are kind of in a transition period right now. Corbin Burns will probably be out the door, if not this off season, uh, after after this coming season. So I can see why they did it, but uh, still a little surprised that they just kind of cut him loose. Yeah, it's tough to see like with the injuries and everything and and how that's kind of worked. And, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to see him get back to kind of the, the ace that he was. I think we all would. Uh, so hopefully Brandon Woodruff quick recovery. I know uh, he'll be back in 2025 strong. Um, some other news out West. Um, and by the way, there's some breaking news here. Comeback player of the year announced. We did not rehearse this, but some breaking news while we're recording the comeback player there. Do you want to guess who they are? I know we have not talked about this at all. So you, I don't even know the candidate. No, no, I don't know. Hit me with it. Cody Ballinger in the National League with the Cubs and Liam Hendricks in the American League with the White Sox. So Liam Hendricks, of course, coming off the cancer diagnosis. I think he ended up um, coming back there for a little bit. And I think he ended up going back on the shelf. And then Cody Ballinger bounced back here after uh, some unproductive years in L.A. So good to see that real quick. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, Hendricks, yeah, he he didn't have a great year. He only pitched in five games, but, you know, just the the battle back from cancer to take the field. I know that was uh, an emotional journey for him and, uh, and the White Sox and their fans. So definitely behind that pick, even if the stats weren't there. And yeah, Cody Bellinger, I mean, we've talked about him a bit, DFA'd a, a year ago, and and now he's comeback player of the year and looking to turn that into a payday. So kind of the two opposite ends of the spectrum on what makes a comeback player poor performance or from an injury and uh, got a little of both there. Yeah. And Bellinger's going to have a lot of suitors. He's going to have plenty of suitors out there that are going to try to, you know, be in the market for his services. It's going to be really cool to see. Um, anyways, I was going to say in the Southern part of California, uh, the San Diego Padres were the last team to hire their manager in previous shows. We touched on the managerial position and kind of the carousel around the league. And we had mentioned that San Diego is a pretty interesting landing point. Uh, and the Padres end up going in-house, by the way, uh, their owner passed away, uh, Peter Seidler. And it was kind of a tough spot. Like you couldn't really go on with the managerial search, um, you know, in full throttle. I think the way that they were going to before, uh, but they settle on hiring Mike Schilt to be the 23rd manager in franchise history, a uh, two-year deal. Um, and Schilt was with the Padres the last two years as a senior advisor, um, and he was recently introduced. So uh, thoughts on Mike Schilt getting a job? And I think he should have never been fired from the Cardinals. I think he did a good job with them, but good to see them settle on someone who is pretty familiar with the organization. Yeah, I think settles kind of a harsh term because it makes it sound like he's yeah. kind of a, an unworthy candidate. But like you said, he did a, a, a really a, a strong job with the Cardinals, and now he gets a second chance with the Padres. And out of all the all the managerial openings, you know that's probably one of the best ones you could land in with their with the talent they have on the roster. So um you know he has has a chance to turn that around pretty quickly if he if he can and you know two-year deals kind of a weird length for me for a manager but like you said it was kind of an odd search just with everything that was going on in the organization when they needed to find a new skipper so yeah there's no shame in putting that search on hold for for the time that they did um because you know losing an owner is a big deal you know you know you got to figure out uh, who's next in line to to take over that chairman position? Um, there might be some view changes within the organization. There's the the sense of respect. So I think the Padres made the right pick with Mike Schilt. 
Um, you, you also need to get a manager named before free agency exactly. really gets going because guys need to know who they're playing for. So, yeah, that's really important. And uh, I sometimes I wonder how important that is. I think it is very important. Uh, and it's one of those things that you can't really put a number or a price tag on, but uh, you could put emphasis on it. Uh, no doubt. I mean, about it. I mean, if you want to look at it, look at what the Rangers did with with Bochi. They got Bochi in the in the you know, driver's seat and got a few uh, big arms that wanted to to play for him. And yeah. now they're now they're having parades and getting jewelry. So in the middle of the World Series, right? I think they made that hire. Yeah. So they they weren't they were messing around. And I know MLB hates that when managers are announced in the middle of the postseason. But um anyways, some other news staying in the National League West. The first trade of the offseason has been made. Uh the Arizona Diamondbacks and Seattle Mariners agreed to send third baseman Eugenio Suarez to the Diamondbacks. Arizona's been needing a third baseman. They rolled with Evan Longoria. They had a few other guys play there this postseason. Uh, but there was a little bit of a hole there. They get the power hitting Suarez in exchange for uh relief pitcher Carlos Vargas and a catcher. Um CB Zavala. Um, so Suarez heading to Arizona, kind of an underrated guy, but he's played every single day. Uh, I think he led, I think he played every day for the 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 Mariners in 2023, if I'm not mistaken. All 162 games. So kind of an interesting trade. Thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he did play 162 this year. I mean, yeah. he's one of those guys where he he strikes out a lot. He also led major league baseball in strikeouts this year yeah. from playing every game. He's led, led the big leagues in K's three times, but he does have, he has a 49 home run season. That was in Cincinnati, kind of a hitter's park, but he, he has the pop. So, you know, he kind of shores up third base for them. And I'm not sure. I don't know a whole lot about the package back. I did hear Vargas is a, is a power arm that, that the Mariners can probably get excited about. And that the uh, the catcher they received is is an option to maybe be their their backup catcher either next year or the year after. So, and, and the Mariners are you know they're always making deals and they cut some salary there. So, you know I, I think it makes sense for both. I think this could be a trade down the line that that both teams can consider that they want it potentially. I agree, and I think the cool thing about this is it adds some like it adds a variety in the Arizona order. Like we, we talked so much about them being kind of a speed and defense type team. And now you put kind of a big bopper in there and not a big bopper in terms of like, you know, you're going to rely on him to carry the offense. He's not that type of guy, but a bopper in terms of someone who could hit the ball out of the ballpark. And the Diamondbacks have guys that could do that, but someone who could solely do that adds some variety to their lineup. So uh, I like the trade again, very durable. Anytime you play 162 games, you're, you gain a lot of respect from I'm sure you and I both. So uh good move. Um, the big move, the first big move that kind of caught our attention. And I think we're going to have thoughts about how this is going to change the starting pitching market is Aaron Nola. Uh, Aaron Nola did not want to leave the Phillies and the Phillies did not want Aaron Nola to leave them. They agree on a, uh, on a contract worth, $172 million over seven years. That's a $24.6 million annual value. So it's uh, Aaron Nola staying in, in the, the city of brotherly love. I think that this is a good move. He's not your prototypical ace, which is why the 172 was kind of like, that's a lot for Aaron Nola, but also, I, you know, he's, he's a durable guy. He's going to be there every fifth day for you. He's going to get strikeouts and he's going to give you some innings. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, 
he was probably, I mean, if you take out Otani and Yamamoto, he's right up there with probably right behind Snell is, you know, the, yep. the best starter available. And so to see a guy like that just kind of come off the table so early in the, in the off season and set the market is very interesting. It's also, you know, if, if they were both so in love with each other, why didn't they just extend him earlier, let him hit free agency. But I guess they realized they had a good thing going and uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this kind of trickles down through the rest of the market. Because like you said, he's, uh, you know, he's probably like a 1.5 starter, you know, on a bad team, he could be an ACE on a, on a playoff or championship caliber team. He's probably a two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see him get that, that length and that almost 25 million a year that's got to make some uh some other starting pitchers uh ears perk up certainly snell certainly snell yeah. i think snell is going to get paid before and yamamoto too like that's and, and honestly it makes the the kevin gosman deal for toronto look that much better yeah like, he was a cy young finalist this year and he got what five years over 110 six years yeah. over 110 yeah. Um, so that that's looking like a steal. And, you know, I know uh I don't know if we want to hop right to Sonny Gray, who signed a little later. Sonny Gray got three years, 75 million. So I mean the and he's yeah. again a little older than Aaron Nola, but uh still kind of interesting how the the free agent market for starting pitchers is kind of a little bit all over the place and it's gonna be skewed because there's not a lot of big time, big time arms on the market. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why we're seeing some of these high AAVs. But yeah, Sunny Gray, three years, 75 mil. I think there's a club option on there. So it could turn into a four-year, probably a little over 100 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, he's a little bit older, but it looks like kind of the base for uh, for starting pitching is is 25 million for a t- top-of-the-line starter. Um, and, you know, the, the Cardinals also did some other work to shore up their rotation, which is one of their bigger needs. They, uh, just to lump these guys kind of in with it, they signed Lance Lynn, uh, to a one-year $10 million deal with a club option for 25 and Kyle Gibson comes aboard as well for a one-year 12 million with a club option. So a little Farhan special going on over in, uh, Seattle and, uh, St. Louis, but, uh, you know, they had a need. I guess they didn't want to wait and kind of have some of these arms fall off and have to to dig the bottom of the barrel. But, you know, Gray will be near the top of their rotation. Gibson and Lynn, probably they're four and five, maybe they're three and four. And they, they shirt up their rotation, maybe not with, with studs aside from Gray, but those are notable big league arms. It's an old group now. That yeah. is an old group now. Um, And uh, yeah, maybe... Yeah. If they get yep. something figured out with Lynn, like he he gave up so many home runs last year, I think over forty. Uh, you know, I don't I don't expect that to happen again. But um, you know, yeah, you I mean, just a something. year or two ago, a year or two ago, Lynn was a, was a stud. You know, he yeah. was pitching pretty well. So if they can find it, I think I saw or heard somewhere their average age in the rotation is like thirty five right now. And it's funny <laughs> that they like lose Wainwright and they're still <laughs> at a thirty five so average age, but. uh you know, just to kind of tie it into some of our, I was a little surprised, not necessarily surprised, but I think that three or 75 million would have fit pretty well with the giants. Cause they seem so kind of hesitant to give out those long deals, especially for starting pitchers that getting a guy like Sonny Gray on a three-year deal would have seemed pretty nice, but uh, obviously he's happy to be heading to St. Louis. Yeah. And Sonny Gray who finished second in, in the American league Cy Young voting, that would have been a deal that I could have seen the giants go after. Um, you know, just cause the, the point you just mentioned, he is on the older side and it is a shorter term deal. Like, you know, yeah. the giants love the shorter term deals and 
there's been so many starting pitching deals, you know, that we can think of that have not worked out. Uh, most of them. And most of them that are in progress probably won't work out. But there's been a handful that have. And a yeah. lot of them have been, you know, you know, Granky, I think to an extent worked out. Lester worked out, I think. Scherzer's worked out great. Um, you know, there's been a bunch that have worked out pretty well. And and this is not one of those like eight year deals. Uh, Cole's another one that I think is going to work out. If probably has worked out already with the Yankees. Um, and, and if you avoid those deals and go with, you know, the sunny grays of the world, it might be a better bet. I think Farhan's like that bet a little bit more. And um, it's interesting to see them not pursue that more with the Bob Melvin connection. Um, but uh, I think they have their, their side set on some, some bigger, bigger fish in the in the pond but um yeah yeah interesting to see though what the cardinals are doing with with that old rotation yeah um, but like even, even like snell like snell's probably the top pitcher out there right uh who's not named otani because the surgery and you know just or, or yamamoto or yamamoto excluding them um snell is the best arm out there excluding yamamoto and and um and otani and even he's got like his fair share of question marks. Like he throws too many pitches. He led the league in walks. He's going to give you only five, six innings. So even the best pitcher on this market has questions. So I, yeah. I mean, the pitching market is just so skewed right now. The position player market. I mean, I, I think that one might even be more skewed. Um, but um, I think we'll definitely have to see. Uh, and then uh, on a lesser extent, uh, the twins, did have Kenta Maeda as well, I think, right? And he's yeah. going to Detroit, two years, $24 million. You mentioned the Farhan special. This is literally the deal that Shamanaya and Ross Stripling got. Uh, so two years, $24 million, $12 million AAV for Kenta Maeda with the Tigers. They're kind of in a rebuilding mode, uh, hoping to get back on and take advantage of, and take advantage of a, a really weak American League Central that, God, it's been weak for some time. So, yeah. Um, and a versatile arm probably could pitch out of the bullpen, could start, could do some different things. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the first names to sign. It wasn't like a massive deal, but it was kind of interesting that it was the Tigers of all teams. But I guess, you know, they're just trying to get some some depth to support some of the – they do have some nice young talent that hopefully they can develop. And, uh, you know, there's definitely worse arms you can throw out there than Kenta Maeda if he can stay healthy because he's he's got a pretty uh, wide arsenal of pitches as well. So – you know, I, I don't think uh, he probably wasn't going to get a lot of attention from uh, from perennial playoff contenders. And so he stays in that central, just moves a little bit. Uh, I guess it would be a little east to, to Detroit. Yeah, east to Detroit. Um, and another move that was made, the Dodgers are re-signing Jason Hayward to a one-year $9 million deal. And uh, Jason Hayward looked like he could have been somebody coming up you know, through the brave system could have been like a future hall of famer. I think everybody kind of had that, that set in stone for Jason Hayward. He hasn't been that he's kind of underachieved throughout his career, but he's getting a nice deal here he Had a good year with the Dodgers last year and kind of a, a part-time role had just over um, uh, 300 plate appearances, 350 plate appearances and had a nice year kind of as a platoon bat. And I think he's going to have a few good years where he could hit right-handed pitching and fit well in an outfield somewhere, but uh, $9 million still. I mean, you got to question the, the position player market uh, and the Dodgers are continuing on with uh, Jason Hayward. So he was a project with them last year. I think he was a minor league signing, right? But 
interesting yeah, I think that so. they re-sign him. But yeah, I mean, he's finally out of that big contract. I think that he signed with the Cubs. I just pulled him up on a good old baseball reference. He's made over $200 million in his wow. career. Um, you know, like I said, he hasn't lived up to his expectations, but he's had a solid career. And now he, he's just kind of keeping it going. He gets a chance to, you know, have kind of a platoon role with a, with a playoff contender. So I think that could be a, a win-win for, for both sides as well. So I, I think it makes sense for, for both teams. Yeah, they the Dodgers did not let him face left-handed pitching last year. He only had under he had 28 plate appearances against lefties and 26 at bats and went five for 26. Um, and against righties, that was where he played the majority of the time and had an 818 OPS. So he'll be in a platoon role again. There's no reason for them to play him at all against um against left-handed pitching. So Jason Hayward, good to still see him in the league. Uh one of uh the guys in baseball who um Reminds me of like my first, you know, few years watching baseball. He's still involved. Um, there's some stuff going on in the trade market. Uh, and, and again, this has been buzzing a little bit too. We have not seen any major trades aside from the Suarez one. Um, but there's been some rumors as there are um, this time of year. And uh, one of the the ones that we see is on the pitching side, Dylan Cease. Tyler Glass now, uh, Shane Bieber, Logan Gilbert. Those are a few names available. And Cease has actually been getting some interest uh, by the Braves, who are also in on Sonny Gray, from what I'm... Uh, and Aaron Nola, too. The Braves are trying to steal Nola from the Phillies. And the White Sox. So Dylan Cease... Um, well, Dylan Cease is with the White Sox. Um, but he's linked to uh, Atlanta. Um, but I think he climbs to the top of the list in terms of pitchers I want that might be available. Yeah, absolutely. I'm and I'm sorry I put White Sox on the agenda. I'm trying to, f- I forget who the second team was now, but yeah, Red he's been linked to. <laughs> maybe maybe it was the Red Sox, but yeah, he's been linked to a few teams. He's obviously I think the the biggest name available, but you know you also mentioned a few other big arms and Glass now Bieber and and I'm kind of surprised to see Logan Gilbert's name flying around a bit. I guess yeah. the Mariners are trying to you know sell high while he's young and affordable and maybe stock up a little bit on the farm, but. uh yeah, I mean, Cease is going to be a game changer if he gets moved. I think it's, I think it seems pretty likely that he will get moved. And I mean, if if you're the Braves and you land him and you put him next to Spencer Strider and some of their other big arms, you have a, a rotation to go with that murderer's row offense that we've talked plenty about on the pod. So, um, you know, I, I feel like there's always a few names, but I feel like there's a lot of names on the trade market rumors right now compared to previous years. So they don't. They won't all necessarily move because everyone's just putting out reports and what they're hearing. So obviously not all these guys are going to be dealt most likely, but I think uh cease on the, on the pitching end is, is the the cream of the crop of arms that are being discussed. Yeah. And, and players on good teams too, like Tyler glass now is on the Rays, and Shane Bieber's on a guardians team that could easily compete. And Logan Gilbert's on the Mariners. Like these aren't, these are good teams that these pitchers are a part of. And like, you know, they're, they're willing to part ways with them. That's intriguing to me, but back to cease just for one second. What is the reason why uh, Chicago would even think about holding on to him? Like he's going to be going into his age 28 season. The white Sox have not been good. Why, why hold on to him? Like, I I don't understand. I mean, I know he's controllable for a long time. He's controllable. You would get a nice haul back for him. You're not going to compete. You struggle to put together a team. You struggle to create a culture in the clubhouse that is respectable of any kind. 
trade him, tear it down. Like Chris gets the new, uh, the new general manager who uh, was a former speed second baseman and everything. Um, like gotta go like for me gotta go yeah yeah i mean and if you're a team looking to trade for an arm he has made you know 32 33 starts the last three years i believe he was second in cy young voting last year um had a little bit of an off year this year he's kind of in that uh blake snell boat of he kind of walks a, a lot of guys but he's also a power arm who strikes out a ton of guys so you know i think if you're a contender and you can part with a little bit of your farm uh, who wouldn't want a Dylan Cease in their rotation, right? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Who wouldn't want a Dylan Cease? There's plenty of upside, even though he had uh, close to a, uh, you know, a 4.6 ERA. There's still plenty of upside. He's still got great stuff. Um, you know, he, I would want him in there. He's still got 10.9 strikeouts per inning. I'm looking at it now. 10.9 strikeouts per inning. The walks went, have gone a little bit up each year, but I don't think that's an issue. The home runs went up last year. But he's still someone who could be a perennial Cy Young candidate uh, if given the chance in a in a good ballpark. Um, and uh, yeah, again, White Sox should make that move. Um, uh, Tyler Glass now I want him in San Francisco for personal reasons. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, hopefully that that comes to fruition. Friend of the show, of course, we got to get him on here. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, yeah, shut down. Just- Special. Shout out to uh, Doug and was it Doug or Brooks who baited you the other night and said, oh, we need Steven to report the glass now trade. That was Chris. Oh, Our it was Chris. Chris Corbett, who's a lawyer, lawyer, a loyal listener of the shot down. And then Chris got me with that one. That was a good one. Um, I get I don't I don't get got by the, the Twitter account. We'll get to the Twitter accounts in a little bit. But when that that one, that one got me because Chris is usually like very very quick with that stuff um but um yeah that, that one scared me a little bit um yeah, yeah. i Any mean him, him and bieber probably you know they're they're quality arms but they do have some health concerns yeah. so it'll be interesting kind of what kind of if they do get moved what kind of package it takes to get them yeah i'll pay um, for the medical bills for tyler glass now oh don't say that man uh <laughs> and steven never made money again um <laughs> But, you know, I, I, but like you said, the, the Rays are a good team, but I think uh, this is glass now's last year before free agency. And they're kind of a, a churn and burn, you know, franchise where they need to, to get something for guys when they can. So that makes sense for them. And Beavers kind of in the, the cease boat, you know, the, the guardians, you know, they, they can compete and, and maybe go after that central, but it's always kind of a crap shoot and a, a battle of mid, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they could probably get something for him. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these trades shake out. We haven't even gotten to, to Juan Soto yet, Steve. Oh, my who, God. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting one because everyone, you know, Juan Soto. I mean, how old is this guy? Like, he's only like 25, 26. He never uh, ages. Yeah, every year like we're asking. Every year he's he only, yeah, every year he's only like in his low 20s um he's 25 <laughs> he's 25 yeah and he's a free agent after this year so that's one wrinkle into it you gotta look at you know the padres if they do decide to move him or probably trying to recoup at least close to what they gave up for him to get him from the nationals uh even though you know the team getting him is only getting one year of soto instead of two and a half like the padres did um you know a lot of people seem to think he's gonna if he does get moved it's to the yankees uh, i've seen the giants mentioned a lot too I just don't know if uh, 
moving uh usually you don't see major trades within a division it's not unheard of but it's pretty rare um so i i mean unless they're totally out of it or to or they're in the hunt if he's not traded in the offseason he'll be moved in in july for sure um because you know a lot of a lot of the thinking when with a guy going into his last year is oh we'll trade for him and extend him but juan soto is a scott boris client unless that has changed and there's one thing I know about Scott Boris clients is they typically do not sign extensions. They want to hit that market, use all the leverage they can to get as big a deal as possible. So you're not guaranteed uh, a Juan Soto for more than a year if you unload the farm for him. Yeah, I. it's funny because I just don't see the Padres trading anybody. Like I, I know that they have to cut payroll and that's part of the reason why they're probably not going to extend them. Um, but like, I still, I don't know. I still feel like they have a window. You know what I'm saying? Like, I still feel like there's a window there to win. Uh, they they have good players. It's just, I don't know what the issue is. I think I, I've always viewed them as like a starting pitcher or a bullpen piece away. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, there are some analytics I saw. I didn't get into the whole like acronyms and what they were and stuff, but they they basically played as like a 90, 92 win team the results just didn't always go their way. So, you know, they, they have a quality ball club, but you mentioned they have a window, but if you know, they're not going to extend him, their window with Soto is only a year. So that's true. then maybe it's a deadline move, you know? Yeah. I feel like the Yankees, like the Yankees are involved in every rumor because they're the Yankees. Like, and then we really dig deep into it and realize that they just weren't a good team last year and the Padres need him more than the Yankees need him. So it's like, yeah. you know, that that's part of it. But like, if the, if, I wouldn't put anything past AJ Preller. I'll say that. I do think the Yankees are going to get one of Yamamoto, Bellinger, Soto. I'll leave it at that. Cause I, I think they're going to get one of them. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, they they're look at the guys that they ran out in their outfield last year, their outfield in, you know, August and September, some of the guys they had run out there, it was horrible. It was bad that they, their outfield. I think they had, um, uh, I don't even know the names out there that they ran out, but it was bad. But yeah. Soto would definitely help, but he he wouldn't solve. I think John Heyman said this, and I agree with Heyman. He wouldn't solve all the Yankees' problems. He wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, personally, if I'm the Padres, I sit on him this off season because, like you said, they are they can be a competitive team. They aren't, you know, they could go deep in the playoffs next year, and I wouldn't be surprised. So, you know, what's going to make that this year more successful for them, having Soto or uh, you know a truckload of minor leaguers? So play the first few months with Soto, see where you're sitting come July and then make a move. If it seems like you're uh, out of the race. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Going to be interesting to see. I think this won't be the last time we talk about Juan Soto for sure. Um, no. And then uh, moving on, this is personally you and I's favorite topic of the winter. One of them, the hall of fame ballot is released and we're going to have much more on the hall of fame as we kind of go quicker to the announcement and sometime in January. Uh, but some of the new names, uh, I think Gary Sheffield's on his last year. He's uh, not a new name, but some of the returners. Uh, Helton was a few votes shy. Wagner was like 20 votes shy. Those guys probably look to be very favorable this year. But some of the new names that are going to be debuting on this year's ballot, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Chase Utley, David Wright, Jose Bautista, Matt Holiday. Those are some of the top newcomers. Um, out of those guys, like, is there anybody that stands out? 
I mean, I think Beltre is going to be enshrined next year. I, I think he's a first ballot guy. He had the longevity. He was productive basically his whole career. Uh, played played third base at a very high level. Uh, I think the interesting there's two that are interesting for me, and I, they're Joe Mauer and Chase Utley, mostly because of the position they play. You know, Mauer didn't have a lot of the counting stats, but he had an MVP, uh, had a, a, at least one batting title, I believe. And then you have Chase Utley at second base, which is a pretty meek position in, in Cooperstown. But we just had Jeff Kent, who dwarfs Utley's numbers offensively, uh, fall off of the ballot with very little uh, support. Um, but I've seen a lot of, you know, experts say that Utley's a Hall of Famer. So it's kind of interesting to see how it goes. And and kind of as a Giants fan, I'm interested in in how Maurer's numbers look. Because I think Buster Posey's, they're going to... Uh, path to Cooperstown will be very similar to Joe Mauer's. The only thing he really did that Mauer didn't was win a few rings, uh, which is obviously very important, but that's a team accomplishment. So uh, very similar uh, production throughout their career too. So those are the one, ones that kind of jump off at me. How about you? Beltre for sure is going to be in first ballot Hall of Fame. One of the best third basemen I ever put on a uniform. He's definitely going to be in. Um, I, I'm interested to know about Mauer. I would say yes. Um, only because I think he, Posey, and Molina deserve to go in. They're they're all three of them in my mind are Hall of Famers. You mentioned first base, the move there, the move off catching position. Um, statistically, for the guys that played the majority of baseball outside of, you know, are as a catcher, majority of their games as a catcher, Mauer ranks very favorably. Um and all three of those guys could be on the ballot at the same time. Hmm. If, like if Maurer like, you know, doesn't get in and then a few years Posey comes on and then the year after Posey Molina comes on. And if Posey's on the ballot, when Molina gets in, that's not going to be a good look. Uh, and, and Maurer, Maurer is going to kind of be in that same path. I think all three of them should get in. And I know the counting numbers aren't there. I understand that. Um, but at the same time, we have to understand the, 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 the peak uh, Maurer, I think, was a very good, very good hitter, Hall of Fame hitter in his peak. Uh, he deserves to be in, and I think something needs to be said about him playing one uh, in one uniform. Uh, there, there's like a a legend or an icon type of mold for guys that play in one uniform. And real quick on Chase Utley, did you want to add one thing on Mauer before I get? Oh, into- I was gonna say, you know, one one team. I mean, it's yeah, so crazy how similar they are because you know him. Posey and Molina, good all, point. All one team. That's right. Yeah, all one team. And uh, real quick on Utley, um, on the surface, it doesn't seem like Utley's a Hall of Famer, but if you look into it, he is one of the best players in his era. And it's weird to say that from the time when Chase Utley from from 2003 to 2018, Chase Utley had the fifth best Fangraphs WAR behind Pujols, Beltre, Cabrera, Trout. Chase Utley. So one, I mean, I know or it's not everything, but second base is, is, is a spot where, you know, usually don't put up numbers like Chase Utley did and him and Robinson Cano are the best of his era at that position. So I would say he's in. Well, Jeff Kent was the best offensive second baseman of all time. Jeff Kent's a hall of famer. The writers (laughs) got it wrong. Yeah. The thing with the, I know you, we talked about this a little bit a few days ago, but like, yeah, I mean, that's that, period of time where he was fifth in war is impressive for sure but 
I don't really like, I always take it with a grain of salt when you say, well, during his career, you know, point A to point B, because everyone else's careers don't overlap quite the same. That's true. So, you know, if you played it, if, you know, a hundred guys all played that same span, started the same year and the same year, then it might be a little different. But I mean, either way, you get mentioned in the name with, with Cabrera and Trout and Pujols, you're doing something right. So to be honest, I, I, part of my thing with Utley is probably both well, Jeff Kent didn't get in and I'm not a big Jeff Kent guy is, you know, he was a giant. He was really good with the giants, but you know, I was never like a, Oh, I love Jeff Kent, but if he doesn't get in, you know, and like you said, the writers did get it wrong, but he had so little support. So it's going to be really weird to see Utley probably not, maybe not get in this year, but probably I, I wouldn't be surprised if he breaks 50% on the first year for sure. Yeah, no, I no doubt. I think he's going to be a guy that we're going to be talking about on the ballot for a long time. He's going to be one of those guys that just is there for a while, like the Larry Walker. Right. Just like climbs to... like two or three percent every year, like start around 50 yeah. and then slowly climb and maybe get in in like his sixth or seventh year. Yeah, that's that's going to be Chase Ali for sure. The other ones I'm not too sure about. Um, not too sure about um, David Wright. I know, again, another one team guy. I don't think he's got the numbers. Unfortunately, injury cut him short short. Bautista and Holiday, probably not, but uh, more discussion. We're going to try and get in contact with the voter, uh, hopefully have them on the show. That should be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. yeah, but I'm looking forward to this this Hall of Fame topic. It's very it's a very fun conversation. I like it. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of uh, back to the roots of the shutdown inning since we started in the offseason last year. So one yeah. of the first things we got to talk about, and I know you and I both love uh, talking Hall of Fame and and kind of how it's evolved and how the kind of means different things to different people now so we'll have plenty of hall of fame uh, discussions in future episodes for sure we can promise you that no doubt about it no doubt about it. let's let's uh move into the final part is everybody's favorite closing segment the speedy no not the speedy shutdown the three up three down uh we haven't done the speedy shutdown in a while we should when we have a guest but um three up three down since uh since usually we uh we save the best for last i'll go first with the downs right um First down, Sports Illustrated. What are we doing? Sports right. Illustrated. Well, really yes. quick, everybody. Steven's a journalist, so get ready for some angry Steven journalism ranting. Go. Sports Illustrated. What are we doing? I want to first preface it by saying AI is going to change the world. Like, that's not an exaggeration. It already is going. It's going to change the digital world as we know it. It's been around for a little bit. It's been able to do things for years, but we are digging into the really deep and detailed capacity of what AI is going to be able to do. And one of the areas it's going to affect is how we consume media and how media is produced, especially journalism. And SI, and granted, there's stories that are written now in local publications where a high school you know, football game is going to be written. You know, It's going to be AI generated. But story, this is where I draw the line, okay? AI could be helpful for a lot of journalism use. In our newsroom here at San Francisco State University, we use it for transcribing. We use it sometimes for organization. Usually it's from an individual basis, right? So it's never, ever used for writing stories. And it should never, ever, ever be used for writing stories and doing reporting. So what Sports Illustrated did is basically they came up with fake people, AI-generated people with a, a staff bio of their interests and it, it made up a, an entire article and it's so disappointing. It's such like, it's it, first of all, it's not even a good article. 
anything AI generated, you could tell automatically because it's just not good. It's full of not good reporting. It's bad. I'm disappointed with the people that run SI, the corporation behind it, that want to not give these assignments to and not want to pay journalists, real journalists to write these stories. It's a shame. It's a shame for Sports Illustrated that used to be the mecca of sports journalism. Nobody wa- nobody was better than Sports Illustrated for 50 years. And then digital media caught up and the athletic happened and you know people stopped buying the print magazine and eventually people stopped going on the website. But for this, for there to be that this much of a drop off for Sports Illustrated, it's very sad to see. So I'm disappointed by that. AI should never be used in that way. It should be used to assist, but it should not be used to conquer any finished articles. So I'm 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 disturbed by that. I am. It, yeah, I mean, and with your kind of uh, your passions and your career path that you want to take, I definitely understand why you're upset. Uh, I'm not a fan of it either. I think it's a, definitely a slippery slope of of where this can go and the, the human jobs it can can take and you know the quality of of reporting and stories that uh that you know non-journalists you know the the end reader will be able to enjoy so yeah it was definitely uh definitely interesting to see that report come out and uh yeah hopefully you know it it is kind of shocking that it is sports illustrated uh you know it's it was a major thing when i was a kid you know i remember trying to get a sports illustrated you know get my parents to buy one off the rack for me when we were at the grocery store um and so hopefully just kind of the, the backlash from this and will keep other publications from considering uh doing the same thing yep i still i have a subscription comes to my house 24 times a year so it, i mean it's still it's still good good journalism but this cancel is, it steven take a stand <laughs> this is a flaw technically uh, well i'm not an employee of sports illustrated but i have a, You're a, a contributor yeah. <laughs> contributor <laughs> so hopefully they don't they don't hear this but that's disturbing and any journalist that goes through journalism school that ends out of, comes out of school with a journalist that as a journalism major they have to take a journalism ethics class and this needs to be updated in the curriculum a hundred percent AI needs to be updated in the curriculum. We need to teach the next crop of journalists, myself included, of what this is going to look like in the future. Cause this is going to keep happening. It's happening already. Sports Illustrated just got caught. That's how it works. All right. Second, uh, third, uh, second down for me. Uh, and I, I mentioned fake reporters, uh, fake reporters in a different way. Beware this time of year of the fake Ken Rosenthal accounts, of the fake Bob Nightingale accounts, of the fake John Heyman accounts, because they are- even the real ones give you a lot of fake news. Yeah, well, Bob Nightingale, I'm not even convinced he's a real person, so that might have not been a great example. But the fake Joel Sherman's and the fake Morosi's, beware. Okay, use kind of your your literacy skills to see through that. Your media literacy skills, I'm sure that you have them. I hope you have them. If not, take this take this time to develop them, please, because we can't have any retweets on the timeline. And I know people do so much jokes. It's funny from time to time, but please don't get, you know, don't get surprised by Joseph Kim or anybody who you've really never yeah. heard of breaking news. You always got to be wary. Sometimes, every now and then, somebody does break an actual news story and it's legit. And you'll see a few days later that it was legit, but you know, the rumors are going to come from the top people. And yeah. uh, a lot of teams, by the way, are getting better at not leaking that stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot of teams that are, are keeping things buttoned up now for a number of reasons, but giants included. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's really 
tough, even tougher now, thanks to our our boy Elon with the the whole check mark fiasco. So yep. I don't even know if like the real uh, Jeff Passan or the real Ken Rosenthal. I don't even know if they're you know have the the verified check mark anymore. But now anyone can have one. So you can you know I could create an account and pay eight bucks a month and say that I'm you know Ken Rosenthal without an A in my last name. So just you know before you get too excited or too down on news. Click on that profile. Take a look. Is it legit? Does Ken Rosenthal have you know three point five million followers or one hundred and twelve? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, third down, and this is an interesting one, uh, a very interesting one. So I'm going to give a down to the Oakland A's. You know, we've given the Oakland. I feel like they lead the league in downs. I feel like if we listen back, they've been down. You know, on the down list, like probably about three or four times at this point. They're going to be on the down list again um, because they are essentially getting replaced in Oakland um, by a, a a minor league team in the Frontier League called the uh, the Bees, the Oakland Bees, short for Ballers. It's going to be a Frontier League team. They're going to rock the green and gold, um, and they're going to play at Laney College in Oakland, mm-hmm. and uh, they promise to never leave town. So it's not a major league team. But it is a professional baseball team coming to Oakland, and the reason I'm putting them out, uh, I'm I'm putting this in the down category, is because the city, uh, the uh, the the Oakland Athletics as a franchise need to be embarrassed that a minor league team, a startup minor league team, is more willing to have Oakland roots than the Oakland A's. So rooted in Oakland, not the A's, but the Ballers. So I'm I'm happy for them. Yeah, I mean, obviously a little bit easier to. Uh home uh, a minor leaguer like an independent league team for the stadiums and the capacities they need but you know having another team come in and say hey we want to play here we know that there's a lot of great baseball fans in this town and then to do it at a site that the a's rejected to build a a potentially (laughs) new stadium is another little wrinkle in it towards the a's is like come on you guys you guys could have done this yeah so you know like you said they're kind of perennial downs right now uh, and they probably will be for a while uh, to a lot of fans in the Bay Area, A's fans or otherwise. So, no doubt, yeah. no doubt. Let's hear some ups. Let's, let's end yeah. on a good note. Yeah, wow. let's, let's let's hit the three ups. I'm uh, on the ups this week, so I'm going to start out with. And I I just learned this right before we recorded, so I don't have a bunch of details. You might have a little bit more on it, Stephen. But the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that was just in the Fall Classic, is offering season tickets for under three hundred dollars. $299, 81 home games. You're there for all of them if you choose to. I'm assuming it means you you get like a upper deck seat down the corner somewhere. But hey, if you're a, a D-backs fan and you just want to get in the ballpark, you can go to any game you want for under 300 bucks. And that's uh that's pretty solid. That's amazing. That's a, a team that was just in the World Series. I mean, I'm 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 looking at it now. Uh, they're including 83 home games for $299. That includes exhibition games, big matchups with the Yankees, Cubs, Dodger, Phillies, and more. This offer is only available for a limited time. Buy directly through the MLB Ballpark app or online. But I mean, that's that's like five games for like Oracle Park. Four yeah. games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Giants did something similar a few years ago. They called it the season pass. And you could basically, the day of a game, if you paid for it, you could click in and say, I want to go tonight. And they would just figure out which upper deck seat to put you in. So I don't know if you'll have like the same seat in Arizona. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to be watching a good product. It's not like they're, uh, you know, the the Tigers trying to just get someone to come to their game. I know 
attendance hasn't always been great for the Diamondbacks, partially because, you know, in the middle of summer, it's 185 degrees in Phoenix. Yep. But, you know, I think this is a good way to get more fans in the ballpark. We saw what a, a loud, full chase field is like in the postseason. And, you know, the Diamondbacks will get some fans in the seats, spending on some concessions as well. So I think it's, you know, one of those win-wins for everybody. And if you're a, a baseball fan down in Arizona, 83 ball games for 299 bucks. I mean, that's $3 and change for a, each game. That's uh, yeah. sign me up if I'm living in Phoenix. Yeah, no doubt of it. That's almost as much as a Harlem Globetrotter, um, like three tickets to the Harlem Globetrotter as a chase center on January 13th. So very weird <laughs> reference, but thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Have you been have you been looking for three tickets to the Harlem Globetrotters? My parents 100% aren't watching, aren't listening to this. Um, uh, sometimes they'll listen to RizzoCast. Sometimes they'll listen to this, but they're not listening here. But that's their Christmas present from me. Okay, and I'm going oh. to. So I mean, including myself. Nice. Well, okay. That, the reference makes a little more sense now. <laughs> yeah, it's recency bias. I was ju- I just got them the other day. So hey, nice. Yeah, well, that'll, that'll be fun. Um, yeah. And then, so going to up number two, I'm going with international free agents. They're about to kind of take over this, uh, this off season. Uh, I think they're all posted now. Uh, maybe Imanaga isn't yet. Um, or is it Lee that's maybe not posted, but we got, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who we've all talked, he just, I think today he won his third Japanese league MVP, uh, Shoto Imanaga, which I believe is a lefty uh, coming out of Japan, who was kind of the the three starter behind Otani and Yamamoto in the WBC, and uh, Zhang Hu Li, who's a, an outfielder who can kind of do it all. Uh, and then, so those are the guys that are just posting this year, and then you just throw Otani on top of it. And so usually, you know, you get one or two of these guys every couple years that you know everyone's kind of anticipating where they're going to go, and we've got. Uh, a really solid uh, crop of them this year. Yeah. And, and I think if anything, what we've seen, we've seen Senga have a really good year with the Mets. He was, he's getting some Cy Young consideration and uh, the pitchers are going to adjust well. Like the pitchers are going to come in here and not have a tough adjustment in the big leagues. Maybe, maybe initially, but they usually have pretty successful careers. So I think nobody should be worried about Yamamoto um, or, or any other Japanese pitcher that comes over um and and lee's an interesting one because lee is japanese but he's coming from the kbo so something Mm -hmm. we don't normally see so he's getting posted i believe by the team name is the hero uh the heroes um so they're posting him, and he's an outfielder one of the best outfielders out there uh but yeah the international talent's great those uh a lot of the countries down there in asia like they they live breathe baseball similar to how we do it in the united states similar to how we do it in the dominican republic uh, the, I mean, it's just a hot spot for baseball talent, and um, in, in a lot of ways, we could learn the game from from them. And I don't see I don't see any adjustment really for for a lot of the players posted based on what I've heard. They're pretty incredible talents. Yeah, and I don't know all the intricacies, but for those listeners, you know, we mentioned posting and windows. So uh, usually, it's either a thirty or forty five day window when these guys get posted by their uh, Japanese or KBO teams. And they have they have that window to negotiate with major league teams, and they have to sign by the close of the window. Otherwise, they go back uh, to their their teams in uh, in Asia. So it's kind of nice to have a deadline for some of these guys. They can't drag it on forever like uh, some previous free agents. 
So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where where some of these guys land because they are uh, they're going to be impact players, without a doubt, no doubt. Yeah. And last but not least, I'm going literally up is the anticipation of the winter meetings. They start December third, which is next uh, this coming Sunday, so five days from now. We're recording on Tuesday. And, you know, that's where the wheels really start to turn. We start to see some signings. You know, there's been a lot of reports that Otani might be making his decision during the winter meetings. Um, and, you know, and once those big dominoes start to fall, it kind of can be an avalanche of, of activity. So, um, yeah, so the anticipation's up. I mean, if you're a baseball fan tracking free agency, this weekend is where it starts to get really interesting. No doubt. And and the first thing I, I, uh, I, I thought was um... – you know, I hope nobody gets sick this time. The GM meetings got canceled and I hope nobody gets sick and uh, we could we could have a very normal freaking um, winter meetings with no general managers getting sick. There's some activity. There's flurry because I don't. Is there any other teams that have winter meetings like the, like baseball where like everybody's just crammed in a hotel and there's a ton of business chatter? That's fun. Yeah, I don't really think so, because usually when free agency opens in the other sports, like everyone signs like it's Black Friday. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a one of a kind. And I think even if there is something going around, unless it's something major, major after the the meetings got cut short a few weeks ago, they'll they'll see these winter meetings through. So, you know, it's a it's a fun time of year to be kind of seeing what these ball clubs are going to look like in 2024. No doubt about it. I'm looking forward to the winter meetings. I think that this one's going to be very, very filled with very much filled with activity for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think we shut it down again. This is a good episode. We, we kind of recapped everything that's happened a little bit. We touched on the hall of fame. Uh, we're going to hopefully have a guest on the talk free agency, a guest on the talk hall of fame. We're going to do the whole bit. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to this off season. I don't know how, how many times we could say it, but uh, yeah. definitely excited. And really quick, I forgot to shout it out last yes. episode. I'm going to do a little plug for you, Steven. I oh. know you've, you've done a few really great episodes recently, but if you're a giants fan listening, go back and listen to the Rizzo cast episode with John Shea, uh, must listen for a giants fan. It was really interesting. And, and if you've grown up a giants fan, you've definitely grown up reading John Shea. Steven did a good job talking a, n- a number of topics that I'm not going to get into because you have to listen to hear them. But uh, yeah, great episode, man. You're doing awesome work over at RizzoCast too. Thank you, sir. And uh, I want to write a book now. Based on, we talked yeah. a little bit about the Maze book. I want to write a book now. Shit. But uh, yeah, no, it, it was it was a lot of fun. John Shea's great. Great with the young writers. You know, anybody that wants to be a journalist or again is a Giants fan should go check it out. So I appreciate that plug. Um, and uh, a lot going on there. A lot going on here, and uh, a lot going on all winter and the uh, spring eventually as well. Uh, so thank you everybody for listening. Go follow us on Twitter at shutdown underscore inning. Check us out on Spotify. Go check out all of our episodes coming up soon and see you next time. That's what's up. Bye.